Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peek, and welcome to episode 328 of Her, the podcast where you're going to hear the naked truth about her mind, her body, her life, and today, her self-compassion. Uh-huh. Whip out your little pens and paper. We're ready to rock and roll before we start this terrific show. Just know that this episode is made possible by our wonderful friends at Smarty Pants Women's Vitamins, the delicious once-a-day gummies that contain all of the essential vitamins, minerals, and omega oils customized just for women. To learn more, hop on over to smartypantsvitamins.com. And here's your first reminder to click on to iTunes after this episode to rate and review the show because I love hearing your feedback. That's why. All right. It's time for Her. Her. The podcast. The naked truth about women. Her mind. Her body. Her life. It's all about Her. Oh my goodness gracious. It's been quite the last year or so, hasn't it? Ah, take a deep breath. Just blow this one out. Phew. Now, have you been struggling trying to understand how you can get through this, maybe feeling lost, maybe feeling down on yourself. How about some of that shame, blame, and guilt? Why can't I keep it all together? Oh my gosh, it just goes on forever. How about some self-compassion? There's no one in the world better to talk to about this entire topic, this theme of self-compassion than Dr. Kristen Neff. She is the author of the new book, how women can harness kindness to speak up, claim their power, and thrive. Kristen received her doctorate from my alma mater, which is the only reason why you're on this uh, podcast. <laughs> I happen to be highly biased uh, toward the University of California at Berkeley. Stanford graduates, well, maybe not so much. It is currently an associate professor of educational psychology at the University of Texas at Austin. Kristen's had quite a journey in her life. During her last year of graduate school, she became interested in Buddhism and has been practicing meditation in the insight meditation tradition ever since. And certainly you're going to see this construct of Buddhist psychology woven through so much of her work. And clearly at the center of this is self-compassion to which she has devoted her research endeavors. So much so that she is the author of the seminal book, Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself, and has also, quite frankly, put together uh, training programs called Mindful Self-Compassion, taught by thousands of teachers worldwide. And this also is accompanied by the Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook, as well as teaching the Mindful Compassion Program. And I just, I don't know who else to talk to, but you, Kristen. Welcome to the Herb Podcast. Oh, thank you, Pam. I'm really happy to be here. Why'd you write this book? Ah, uh, well, so the book's actually called a uh, Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power, and Thrive. Um, and the reason I wrote this book is it's really a, a extension of my work on self-compassion in general. 
So, you know, self-compassion is concerned with the alleviation of suffering. And self-compassion is simply compassion turned inward. Uh, but compassion has both a, a tender and a fierce form. So tender self-compassion is what we, what we often think about. It's kind of the nurturing quality of compassion, uh, the ability to accept ourselves as we are, to be there for ourselves, comfort ourselves, soothe ourselves. But compassion isn't always tender. Sometimes it's fierce, right? Sometimes to alleviate our suffering or to care for ourselves, we need to be strong and brave. We might need to draw boundaries or say no, stand up to injustice. Or another really important thing is being able to say no to others and say yes to ourselves. In other words, really valuing our own needs and, and, and giving them time and energy, recognizing that our needs are important too. And then also motivating change, right? So it's, it's actually not self-compassionate if you're stuck in an unhealthy relationship or job or, or you're doing behaviors that aren't helpful. Uh, and the problem, however, is, is gender, gender role socialization because it allows women to be tender, but we get called names if we're too fierce. So the whole idea of this book oh, is- Oh, yes. The whole idea oh, is to yes. harness what we know, which is kindness, but in its fierce form, so that we can make the okay. changes we need in ourselves and our lives, yeah. I love it. And this whole issue of fierce self-compassion really resonated with me. So it resonated so much, I'm gonna share just a little bit of the book, the very first words, so that everyone out there in the Herb Podcast land can understand really what you're talking about. There's something in the air. Every woman I talk to can feel it. We're fed up, angry, and ready for change. Traditional gender roles and societal power structures restrict the ability of women to express a full range of who we are at great cost, both personally and politically. Women are allowed to be soft, nurturing, and tender. But if a woman is too hard, if we get angry or fierce, people get scared and call us names, witch, hag, shrew, ball breaker. These are some of the milder insults that come to mind. If we're ever going to move beyond male dominance and take our proper place at the tables of power, we need to reclaim the right to be fierce. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm awake yeah. now. Don't need that coffee. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. You, you were in a mood when you wrote those words. Oh yeah, absolutely. But, but isn't it so true? I mean, it's not just me. There's a whole movement and, and it's, Literally every woman I talk to, we can feel it. It's it's kind of transpersonal, you know. There's there's some shift in the zeitgeist that's happening. Um, that's really, I think most women I know realize that we got to change the way things have been done. We can't be helpmates anymore. We can't just be the sexy love interest. You know, we we have been denied our power. And, and look at look at the world as a result, right? The, the, we're going to hell in a handbasket, if I can put it quite bluntly, with global warming and racial inequality and wealth inequality, and there's just so much suffering in the world. And I really think women are going to be at the forefront um, of helping to make that change. But if we're going to be able to do it, we need to be able to reclaim our fierceness. We, we can't we can't care if people don't like us. You know, I'm sorry if you don't like me if I'm too fierce, but that's your problem, not mine. You know, um, I, I need to be able to express a full range of who I am so that I can be authentic and I can make the changes needed in the world. 
And that's really, it's kind of a call to action, this book. Or you might say it's, it's feminism meets self-help. <laughs> oh, I love that yeah. one. You know, I love the uh, quote um, in chapter one that you start the entire chapter with. It's quite beautiful. This is by uh, Kavita Ramdas, the former head of the Global Fund for Women. We need women who are so strong, they can be gentle. So fierce, they can be compassionate. Ooh, now there's some interesting pairings. I really love that um, because it's not an either or situation. This is all interwoven, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's the thing that, and I, I realized over the past 10 years when teaching about self-compassion that people have a really one-dimensional view or of compassion in general. They think it's only the soft, tender side. But anger is a force of compassion when it's aimed at alleviating suffering, right? That's, that's what compassion is, a concern with the alleviation of suffering. And sometimes to alleviate suffering, we need to get pissed off. You know, look at the Me Too movement, look at the Black Lives Matter movement. These are self-compassion movements. These are movements of saying the suffering cannot continue, we need to do something differently. Um, and so I think especially for women, it's, it's kind of a, an accessible doorway to women. I like to call it our mama bear energy, right? So we can tap into it to protect our children, to protect those we love, that kind of fierce protective, you know, no way are you going to harm my child. But we can also use that energy toward ourselves and also toward society at large. It's already within us. That's the thing. I mean, mama bear, that's a female archetype. Kali, who many people know of, it's like the Hindu goddess, it's the goddess of destruction, fierceness, absolute fierceness. This, these are female energies just as much as they are male energies, but it's just we haven't been allowed to fully access them because people won't like us. They won't think we're nice if we do. Well, it's also belief systems. You know, it's acceptable to be gentle. It's acceptable to be supportive, you know, and to be nurturing. All those things, you know, check, 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 you know, we're all good. But you step outside those boundaries and you start, you know, playing around with, you know, feeling quite uh, fierce and powerful and brave and courageous and stick your chest out there um, in all kinds of situations from personal to uh, professional, then all of a sudden the belief system in the culture, not all cultures now, but belief system in, in most cultures is that you have overstepped your boundaries, girlfriend. Now get back into your cage and, you know, knock yourself out. And, and all of a sudden women are saying, whoa, 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 with the cage already. Whoa, with the picket fences that are keeping us all in. The hell with all that. Let's just free ourselves of all that and tap into your own inner fierceness. That's why I love that word. How does that feel with you? Yeah, no, Kristen? exactly. But, but a really key thing is it's all about balance. You know, the fierceness and the tenderness. It's just like yin and yang. It's actually, you know, I also use that metaphor, yin and yang. I mean, from, from the Chinese philosophy perspective, the definition of ill health is an imbalance between yin and yang, and yet we've gendered yin and yang. You know, women are yin, men are yang, and we can't be both, which means we're, we're doomed to be unhealthy unless we change this. But so, so tenderness without fierceness is complacency, and that's not good for anyone. But fierceness without tenderness is aggression, and that's not good for anyone either, right? We, we need both. And that's why the vehicle of this fierceness has to be kindness, has to be care, has to be concern with the alleviation of suffering. And that's what makes a constructive, not a de destructive force. And women know all about it. They already know it. <laughs> 
you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they really do. You get women together and feeling really safe. They just let it rip. And that's exactly what they're going to say. Now you have this uh, chart. It's called expressions of self-compassion. And I thought it was really, really informative because it divides fears into three different kinds of fears, protect, provide, and motivate. And then it adds tender up there under this whole heading of purpose. And then the other headings that everything is transecting with are self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. Tell us about these divisions of fears. Yeah, right. So for, for a long time, you know, I've defined self-compassion as actually having three components. One, we need to be mindful and we need to turn toward our suffering. We can't help ourselves if we aren't even aware we're struggling. Um, and then again, kindness, which is kind of obvious, but then also a common humanity. What makes it compassion and not pity is the sense of connectedness with other people, right? So it's not a self-focused stance at all. And so as I started developing my ideas around the fear self-compassion, which is the action side, well, you know, the action's gonna look different depending on how you need to alleviate your suffering. Uh, images in Buddhism of, of compassion often is like a, a goddess with many, many arms, each holding a different instrument, because you know what you do in the moment depends on what you need to do. And so I started realizing that depending on you know, how we're trying to alleviate our suffering, these three components look different. So when we're protecting ourselves, for instance, kindness, when we're being with ourselves, when we're just accepting ourselves, kindness might be like gentle and accepting, but when we're protecting ourselves, it's like brave and courageous, drawing boundaries. Feeling connected when we're trying to stand up for us is that's actually empowering, believe it or not. The sense of connection, the sense of, you know, I'm not alone. Again, if you look at the Me Too movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, they're drawing their power by connecting with other people who are also being oppressed. So it's kind of when you stand up for yourself, not as just me, isolated and alone, but as we, we come into our power. And then mindfulness, you know, people have heard a lot about mindfulness and people think mindfulness is just about like acceptance or meditation, but mindfulness is also clear seeing, right? Really just seeing, okay, this is not okay. I'm not going to fool myself anymore. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to be conscious of you know, maybe my unconscious biases, or I'm going to be conscious of structural inequality that comes from mindfulness. Right? So that's one example, but just, just, I'm not going to go through all of them, but it looks really different when your aim is something something like motivating change, right? If you're motivating change, well then kindness becomes an encouragement. I'm gonna encourage myself to make a change. I'm not gonna shame myself into make a change. It becomes encouraging. Um, common humanity in this case is, is wisdom, being able to learn from our failures, recognizing that it's only human to fail. You know, I gotta learn from it. That's where humanity comes in. And then mindfulness in this case is vision, seeing what you want to achieve in life, you know, what would be a better way. So really the way self-compassion manifests is different. So I call these the tools of self-compassion and I have a chapter for each, I have practices for each. And it's really just to give people more, um, yeah, more ways that they can help themselves and help others. I just love it. You know, you, you bring to mind a memory of mine and that was, uh, being in Boston, I'm on the faculty of the Harvard Institute of Coaching, and uh, we had brought in Thich Nhat Hanh and his uh, male and female uh, monks to uh, really be there on stage and to share with us. We did a mindful meal where there wasn't a single word spoken. 
That was unbelievable. I mean, you could see this huge amphitheater of a hotel with multiple levels. It, not a single person said anything. We just brought our own lunch and we just sat there and did our thing very mindfully, very quietly. And we listened to the chanting um, of the nuns uh, and, and the monks. And it was uh, mesmerizing um, at the very least. And then there was, when Thich Nhat Hanh spoke, he spoke of self-compassion and compassion and, and really, as you said, embracing suffering. You understand, you have to acknowledge, you have to be able to understand that shared humanity, which I just, you know, uh, I've taken with me as a lifelong memory. Um, never, ever have I really seen it portrayed that way. So to your point about mindfulness especially, that just drove it home in a big way. But you also wrote in your book, before you went into kind of more of uh, what's happening in the world and globally, um, the challenge for women is the header on this one before you began the next section of the book. It is especially important for women to balance fierce and tender self-compassion as we try to make productive change in our own lives and the world at large. Then, um, Kristen, thank you for mentioning the P word, something I rant and rave about, perfectionism. Perfectionism, or striving too hard uh, to achieve without the safety net of unconditional self-acceptance, will only add extra pressure on us as we do our work in the world, harnessing kindness to overcome barriers, on the other hand, with the bottom line being that we'll care for and support ourselves, even if we fail, will give us a much better shot. When you mention, you know, the P word, um, as I love to call it, I always say perfectionism leads to paralysis. You can't get off first base because no matter what you do, you're going to be already pre-shaming yourself for not being perfect. It, it's just a no-win situation. But women, I believe, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this to be a very gender-specific kind of situation. Men are more like, well, let's just get it done and, you know, it's okay and whatever. The grand majority of men kind of get along and, and are okay with the gray zone. Women are like, no, this has to be perfect, the perfect uh, dinner setting, uh, the perfect party, the perfect wedding. You know, when it comes to a lot of what we do, there's that damn P word again. Give us some ways to be able to help women overcome perfectionism. Right. You know, and I think one of the reasons women do tend to be more perfectionistic is because we, we aren't, I mean, this is terrible, but you, ha you have to tie it to the other P word, which is the patriarchy, in the sense that, you know, men are kind of intrinsically valuable in society. And, and this isn't just our generation. This goes generations back. They're like intrinsically valuable and worthy. And a woman, in a way, kind of has to earn her worth. Right, we got we got to get it right. We got to look really attractive. We got to be really successful. It's almost like um, you know we can't take anything for granted. Any little scrap of respect we get, we need to earn. Uh, and so you might say our self worth is more more conditional, and and that's not our fault. That's just because the way society has set it up. Um, so I like to reframe it. I like one of my favorite sayings, and I really use this: is the goal of practice is simply to be a compassionate mess, right? So in other oh, words, changing, I love it. Wait a minute, your, a compassionate mess, a compassionate I love mess. this. So your goal oh. isn't to be perfect. Your goal is just to have your heart open 
So in other words, even when you fail, if you can be compassionate toward that failure, you've actually succeeded. Right? Now, now what happens is when you say that immediately, that voice pops up and says, oh, but I want to achieve and I don't want to be lazy and you know, I won't reach my goals. It does, it's, it's a very similar analogy is like how we raise our children. We love our children unconditionally. You know, if our child messes up, we still love them. That their, their failure doesn't impact our love for them, our acceptance of them. But if we care about our children, of course we want them to achieve. You know, sometimes we need to give them a little kick in the butt. You know, they use a little, sometimes the encouragement is like a little mama bear, you know, hey, you gotta, gotta do something different. So we won't become complacent if we care about ourselves. Um, but if, but if, we, if we feel we have to achieve in order to be acceptable, then it creates anxiety, which actually undermines our ability to do our best. Oh boy, and, and especially with what you call the monumental task in front of us. The planet is warming, the political system is broken, people are dying from starvation um, in some parts of the world and obesity in others. There's entrenched sexism, racism, and wealth inequality. Um, it just seems like it'll never end. And then you go on to say the old ways of patriarchy aren't working anymore. And it will likely be women who keep the world from going over the edge. Whoa. All right, go for it. Yeah. Why? I mean, that's, you know, I don't have like empirical data for that, but I have that sense. And I think a lot of women do too, right? So the old ways of doing things, which you might say is yang without yin, fierceness without any tenderness. So where the fierceness isn't harnessed for kindness and alleviating suffering. The fierceness is just harnessed for like making money or conquering or, you know, claiming power. Clearly that's what's got us in the problems we have today. Right, we, we, we got quite literally can't keep the way we're going because we're all gonna die if we do that. You know, global warming is serious. It's, it's probably gonna be quicker than we think. Um, it's just, we have to make a change. And so from, from, my, from my point of view, the change really comes from, uh, from compassion. But, but it's not like a soft, weak, squishy compassion. It's a powerful compassion. It's a forceful compassion. It's a compassion that says, no, we can't do it this way anymore. We need to do it in a way that's more fair, that's more just, um, that's more caring, and that supports rather than destroys. And I really think women are uniquely positioned to make that change. And so, you know, in some ways you might say we're inhibited by our gender roles. But in other ways, we're freed by our gender roles. So as an example, 85% of the people who come to my workshops are women. Now we know from the research that self-compassion is one of the most powerful and most effective sources of strength, coping, and resilience we have available to us to get through tough times. And like men, you know, it's not their, their fault. You know, you can have compassion for it, but men are often cut off from this incredible strength. They're cut off from this superpower because they think it's weak and it's a female thing and therefore, you know, they're just gonna go out and go on their old way, which is like trying to control things. You know, how, how's that working? You know, women have the ability to, to try a new way. They can use what they already know, which is compassion and nurturing. And like, for instance, the whole mothering role, you know, there's a lot of strength that comes in knowing the wisdom of how to help a child, you know, develop and grow into the world. And there's a lot of wisdom and power there. So we just need to be able to give ourselves permission to turn that superpower inward 
as opposed to just outward. And if we start doing that, who knows what's going to happen? You know, I think, I think, I think things are changing. At least I, I really strongly believe that's the case. Who's helping guys? Well, yeah, I, I know just, it's funny. Know, like, like, I just, we... <laughs> I, and, and I, I just sent out a newsletter about my new book today, and I got some distressed um, emails from men saying, "What about me?" You know, and and, and I, I had to write the book for women because the the issues are different for for men and women, right? So with men, it's about you know how to how to claim your tender side, and for women, it's how to claim your fear side. So I, I'm not really the person to write that book. I have a colleague, Chris Germer, I keep saying, you need to write that book, but someone needs to do it. Someone needs to, and there are, there are people out there, this kind of immense movement. Um, someone really needs to help men, but you know, I'm not that person, but I do have a son. And a lot of us have children, have sons. And so I think as mothers, one of the things we can do is help raise our sons to really understand the power of tenderness, you know, the, the need to balance that fierceness and tenderness to be whole and complete and just to be resilient and to be flexible. You know, we need different tools for different situations. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm not the person to write that book. I'm sorry, I can only do so much, you know. <laughs> oh, I thought it was going to be book number three here. So, you know, um, and I'm joking with you here, clearly. You know where I think it's going to come from, Kristen? Seriously, I think it's going to come from a young man. A young man author type like Ryan Holiday, who, you know, has written um, the beautiful Stoic books um, and all about, uh, you know, uh, the obstacle is the way, stillness is key, things like this. He's a young man. He's, you know, it's in his uh, 30s. And, um, and he really started putting heavy thought into this after having gone through a lot of journeys in his very young life and kind of put two and two together, became a father started raising a family and put two and two together and went, whoa, you know, <laughs> whoa, I can't be a good father. I can't be a good partner uh, to someone in life. Um, I can't even be a good professional unless I'm able to show and demonstrate that that sense of gentleness. So I, I'm going to put money on it. It's going to come from someone of that, you know, the millennial generation, for instance, who is really, you know, more open to this and are more rebellious about the old patriarchal ways of looking at things. Yes. What, what do you think? I agree. And I think gender roles aren't as uh, established. I mean, we grew up, at least I grew up in the 80s, you know, with incredibly sexist films that just kind of in our subconscious. I think the younger generation isn't so constricted by gender roles, and that's going to serve them well. Oh, I don't think there's any question. I love what you wrote about balancing equality at work. Of course, I have to start with the quote, which is just a riot because I actually met Ann Richards, um, who had been the governor of Texas. Um, she's a riot. So she said, if you give us a chance, we can perform. After all, Ginger Rogers did everything that Fred Astaire did. She just did it backwards and in high heels. I just couldn't laugh enough. That was such a perfect one, which is like, yeah, dude, we've been doing this for a while. We kind of do what you do. And if anything, we have to do it 50 times better just to get somebody to pay attention to us. Is, is that kind of where you're going with this? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so if in that chapter, you know, it's kind of sad if you read the research, oh, because yes. Uh, first of all, women are presumed to be less competent. It's not conscious. If you ask people who's more competent at work, men or women, and people say, oh, equal, or maybe even women have the edge. But if you look at things like people evaluating a resume, 
exactly identical except one's named Jennifer and one's named Steve, Steve is seen to be as more competent, right? So there's an implicit assumption that men are more competent, especially in, in the business world. So we need to fight against that unconscious bias. Here's the kicker though. <laughs> Even when a, when a woman is seen as competent, let's say they say this woman just received a performance review and got excellent marks, she's really competent. People like competent women less because they assume that a competent woman isn't tender, right? So people like tender women, they don't like fierce women. So even though you need to be fierce to get ahead in business, if a woman's seen as fierce, they assume she's not tender and they don't like women who aren't tender. So, you know, you wonder why there's this glass ceiling. You know, it's because the unconscious biases set it up so the system's rigged against us, especially um, in terms of the upper echelons of power. And, you know, women are actually even, have even more unconscious bias than men do. Not, it's not conscious. But women, even more strongly than men, have internalized this thing of, I don't like women who's, you know, too, too bossy or, you know, Hillary Clinton, she was so ambitious. No one, ever, no one would ever say that about a man, right? So as women, I think we have to do a lot of our own work and we have to like look inside of ourselves. We need to, you know, it's painful. That's where compassion comes in. But we need to see all these, these biases we have, all these unconscious biases. We need to start just understanding that it's not either or, you know, it's yes and, it's yes and both. Uh, and so it's kind of like, you know, the, the old saying, the feminist saying is the personal is political, but it's, but it's really true. It's not until we start freeing ourselves internally from some of these biases that a woman's not supposed to be fierce that um, we'll, we'll really be able to achieve what we're capable of. I love it. I love it. And, you know, we talked about perfectionism as being sort of a, you know, one of those speed bumps that we have to encounter and like, how am I going to get around this and navigate it? There's another one that I, as a physician and also a scientist um, in the field of women's uh, healthcare, have found to be a major obstacle. And that is women lose themselves in caregiving, as you said so beautifully in your chapter, and um, starting out with that beautiful quote by Audre Lorde, um, caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. And, you know, I've, I literally talk to women, and they treat the word self like a four-letter word. You know, like a whoops, I let that out, like an F-bomb or something. You know, like, yeah, oh, my yeah. God, I, I said self, which means you're a self. You know, in their mind, it immediately transforms itself into selfish and selfishness. Like, how dare you think more about yourself than the 38 people who just lined up to uh, drain your psyche uh, because of all their problems, um, and they want you there for them. And you don't know how to say no and you don't know how to create boundaries and limits to protect yourself, which is what that whole self-preservation thing is about. So how do women get over this speed bump? Yeah, so um, it's really based on the fallacy if we, when we give to ourselves, it takes away from giving to others. Right? It's not like we have five units of compassion and if we give three to ourselves, we only have two left over for other people. You know, it doesn't work that way. Even like physiologically, it doesn't work that way. In other words, um, what we cultivate inside impacts other people on the outside. 
So, so the human brain is constructed for uh, empathic resonance, right? We've got mirror neurons where, you know, my, my emotions are impacted by your emotions. If you're in pain, the pain centers of my um, brain are activated and, and vice versa, right? So uh, in other words, if I'm feeling stressed and overwhelmed and exhausted and I interact with you, maybe you're my friend or you're my, you're my patient, then you are actually picking up on my stress and exhaustion and burnout. If I actually give myself compassion and kindness and care and warmth because it's so hard to be burned out, if I cultivate internally a more loving, compassionate frame of mind, I'm actually helping you. Not only because I have the resources to physically help you, but through the process of your own mirror neurons. So this idea that self and other are separate, you know, that's that's the big illusion. That's what the Buddhists talk about, right? We're interdependent, we impact each other. So if you only aim compassion outward and not inward, you aren't helping anyone. <laughs> and, and the research shows quite clearly that the more you can be self-compassionate, the more you're able to give to others without burning out. I love um, it, I and love once it. You, once you explain that, it's like, oh yeah, I guess I never thought of it that way. Well, that makes sense. Uh, women actually have a little less self-compassion than men, even though compassion is part of the female gender role. And that's just because, you know, they, they spend all their compassion outwardly. Exactly. Men feel more entitled to get their needs met. Exactly. You know? But once, once they make that shift, then in some ways women are better positioned to harness this tool because they're so, they're so good at it, they're so experienced. Yeah, put that oxygen on you first, you know, yes, come on now, exactly. and you have to fill up that compassion fuel tank to be able to do anything. And I think the issue of self-preservation um, and uh, protecting oneself and actually, you know, I, I as an exercise uh, I've done with women that they just absolutely love, grab a mirror. Okay, here we are. We have a mirror. Now stare in the damn thing. Now start saying no and say it nicely. Thank you so much for asking me to be on this, you know, dot, 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 completely useful, useless committee um, or fill in the blank that I just seriously, you know, I have no interest in. But in the past, I've said yes, because I don't want to hurt anyone. All right. So now you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to say, thank you so very much for considering me for this. Um, however, um, that doesn't work for me uh, right now and uh, perhaps sometime in the future. But really good luck with your wonderful work okay women literally this is what they sound like first go around um they can barely get it out because they're gonna have to say no to someone god forbid and <laughs> have you found that oh yeah well yeah because in a way well the system's rigged against us right yes think about it so women are valued when they say yes they're valued for being agreeable people like us when we say yes they like us when we sacrifice ourselves. well think about it who does that who does that serve well that serves the people in power isn't it if women are helpmates and they're only valued for being a useful helpmate then that means we're kind of confined to that position right and so that again that's why we need both tender and fierce self-compassion the fierce self-compassion gives us the strength and the courage to say no can you say it nicely you don't say it meanly you know no i'm sorry i can't help you but you know in other words we, we become less dependent on people approving of us because we approve of ourselves 
And once our sense of self-worth doesn't come from the outside, but actually comes from the inside, then that really gives us a lot of freedom to be able to be authentic, you know, to say yes when we want to, and we can re really commit to it, and to say no when we don't want to. But, you know, I, you know I, I, I've read, you know, that people actually have much more respect for people who know how to set limits and boundaries. And I have found in my entire professional career and personally, that when people are able to say authentically and truthfully, I'd love to do that, but I can't. I only have so much bandwidth and I truly wish you great luck with whatever you're doing um, and back and forth. Or I have precisely 15 minutes. That's all I've got. And, but I'm, I'm going to absolutely set it aside for you because I do want to hear about this problem you have. But when I hear that versus someone who's just open-ended and God knows, and, and they literally give themselves away freely without any, you know, thought of self-preservation, then I personally have less respect for that person. Yeah, you yeah, know that, that that can be the case. Sometimes people do respect you, but at the very, also you have to think, what are you modeling? Right. So uh, if when you say it again, kindly, but firmly, then you're also saying that you also have permission to say yes, no, right, especially yes. to other women and especially to young women. Right. Yes. So, you know, I'm I'm middle aged and I'm kind of getting to that part of life where, you know, it's about mentoring the younger generation and we want the younger generation to be able to know it is OK. It's actually good to draw your boundaries. But again, not in a selfish way. So so get that, that third form of, um, of fear, self-compassion, which is providing for ourselves, which is really what you're talking about. Um, yeah. I call it a fulfilling, balanced authenticity. So in other words, we do what we do what we want, right? We, we become fulfilled, we're authentic. But we do it in a balanced way. It's not like saying no to everyone else and yes to ourselves all the time. It's just finding a proper balance. Most women are actually imbalanced. They say yes way too often and they don't give themselves enough consideration. So it's not like the other extreme where we become selfish and self-absorbed. It's just about balance. Really, that's the key, balance. And it's from that balanced place that we are most authentic and actually most happy. Okay, so now as we come to the closer here, my entire team wanted you to help them understand how they could become the best compassionate mess they could. <laughs> okay. So what are the rules? <laughs> yeah. What are the rules of becoming the most optimal compassionate mess? Right. So so the first thing is is you kind of um you change your aim, right? So what are you trying to do? Are you trying to be perfect? Right? Are you trying to get it all right? Are you trying to never make mistakes? Well, you know, good luck with that one. <laughs> or is your, <laughs> is your aim to cultivate compa a compassionate, kind, internal mindset? I'm knowing, of course, that it's going to actually help you, right? And so once that becomes your aim, I mean, I after 25 years of practice, I'm probably marginally less reactive. I probably mess up a tiny bit less than I used to, but not a lot. <laughs> But I'm really, really good at saying I'm really good at apologizing. I'm really good at holding my, my mess with compassion. I mean, that's that really has been my aim. And it is a muscle you can develop. Um, and so, again, really, it's just a very easy, easy thing to do is, you know, throughout your day, just ask yourself when you hear yourself saying something mean or being cold or really pressuring yourself or shaming yourself, just ask this simple question. Would I say that 
to a good friend I really cared about, right? And if the answer is no, and you might even think, well, what would be the impact on my friend if I said that? And you go, okay, hmm, do I want that impact on myself? Probably not. <laughs> and so really simply, you just need to say, treat yourself like you would treat that good friend. Right? Give yourself the same support, kindness, warmth, encouragement. Again, sometimes a little fierce mama bear motivation to get yourself doing something different. Uh, and that's really all it takes. You know, I like to say it's not rocket science. It's not like meditation where you get into like this state of samadhi and your mind stills and you know, that's great as well, but this is really simple. This is just doing what we already know how to do, which is to be warm, supportive, encouraging friend to others or parent to others um, and using that, harnessing that same energy and applying it inward. Oh, and I also, just love you know, this. But I also have lots of practices, you know, on my website, selfcompassion.org. I got free guided meditations. There's the book, the book is a how-to book as well. I give exercises, practices in terms of how to develop these tools. So it is something you can actually do, which is which is the good news. And I, I, you know, what I love is it's almost like in, um, you know, in the military they say uh, per permission granted uh, to stand up. Permission granted to fill in the blank. All right, ladies, permission granted to have self-compassion. Permission granted to have fierce self-compassion. Um, and, and, you know, take that and tap into your inner fierce. And if you ever thought for one second that you didn't have it, just think about if someone tried to mess with a loved one. What are you going to do? Just sit there? No, you probably rip someone's face off. Um, the yeah, last time exactly. I looked, that's that's that inner bear, mama bear. At the same time, it's a beautiful word, fierce. I just, I just have these great feelings about it. It's very spiritual. At the same time, it's what I love to call, and I'm an athlete, I'm a triathlete, so we, we call it badass. Um, you just get in there. You know, I, one of the best things ever, Kristen, is when I first uh, joined triathlon, and uh, you know, I saw these you know, lovely women in their little bathing suits by the you know, lakeside, and I thought, wow, you know, I wonder how this is gonna go. Um, and they all seemed to be kind of quiet and everything. There were some that are kind of louder and this and that, but most of them were kind of like you know, pondering, and I'm thinking, God, I wonder how this is. So we all get in the water. Honey, listen, okay, when you're fighting for your life out there in the water, you have watched these women come alive, man. They're just batting all over the place, slapping you in the head. You're getting kicked in the face. <laughs> just like, whoa, where did all these women come from? And then you see them hop on a bike and they're like, get out of my way. And then, <laughs> then they're running. And that's why one of the reasons why, um, you know, I, I work a lot in sports medicine, um, that I, I love to be able to encourage women to take that first step to if you think you have no fears go ahead and try a sport honey um, watch what happens when you're out there and you're trying to really challenge yourself especially in competition oh my what's that little fierce thing that just showed up <laughs> it's just and there it is and so I love this book because it it gives women tools techniques and tips to be able to dip their beautiful manicured you know toes pedicured toes into um the shallow waters of fierceness and see how it feels and then i don't know about you honey the deep end feels pretty good too and you get more and more brave and courageous so as we close this out Kristen, 
give us one more nugget of wisdom for all of our listeners with the her podcast to be able to just take home you know metaphorically and and use for themselves i just i just released a practice on my website and today called fierce friend <laughs> right so often sometimes when we, when we think about friendship we, we kind of also think of just the tender context right but it, I, I find it's really helpful for me anyway, is to have have an image, like it might be a jaguar, it might be a mama bear, it might be like a warrior goddess, but some image you have in your mind of what does that look like? You know, what does it look like when your heart's totally open, you know, you're tender, you're loving, but you are badass and you're powerful and you, you, again, you're, you're, you're wielding the sword of justice. It's not a sword to kill or harm, it's the sort of justice and protection. And then you can kind of actually develop that type of image and then call on it when you need it. I love again, it. I've got that practice it's on my website. You can listen to it. You can do it. Um, so there's just a lot of different ways um, that you can tap into this fierceness. All right. So we're talking about selfcompassion.org. And is that self-compassion.org? Yes. It is. But you know, you Google anyway, all, all roads lead to my website. I got in early. So you can, you can just spell it anyway, and you'll still find me. So well, no, good no for you. Self-compassion and you'll find me. <laughs> oh my God, that's fantastic. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Everyone out there on the Herb Podcast land, we've been talking to Dr. Kristen Neff. That's N as in Nancy, E-F-F. F. And she wrote this new book called Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power, and Thrive. Run on over to her wonderful website, selfcompassion.org, to learn new practices and find out more about her work and her other books as well. And Christian, all I can say is thank you so much for being on the Her Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> and everyone, run on over right now to iTunes, rate and review the show. We're waiting for your feedback, especially me, because I'm Dr. Pam Peek, host of the Her Podcast. Follow me on Facebook at Dr. Pam Peek or Twitter and Instagram at Pam Peek MD. And remember to catch every single episode of the Her Podcast on iTunes or Radio MD. Thanks for listening today and stay well.